we've been studying on a different uh, area, in a different area on Sunday mornings, and that's far too important of a subject to not finish off. Uh, but I, I just felt led to kind of let some of those things that we've been talking about kind of for lack of a better term, kind of bake in our mind, if you will, and, and consider them and think about them. And we will return to that. It's too, it, like I said, it's just far too important for us not to finish that. But we're going to take a break from that for a few weeks. I really don't know exactly how many and kind of do a mini series and, and talk about finding God's will for our life and, and fulfilling that will in our life and things of that nature. We'll start that process this morning by talking about making decisions making decisions that result in the honor and, and, and the glory of God. And I, I think a lot of times I hear children of God and they'll say, you know, I just don't know what God's will for my life is. And, and we treat God as if we think he is uh, proverbially the guy that's sitting in the, in the, the seat of, a, of a, a wagon and we're the horse and, and he's got him a long cane pole with a carrot tied to the end of it and he's got it right out in front of our noses and, and every step we take, he just keeps staying further away and as if uh, God's will is something that he just toys with us about and, and he puts it out there but he never does let us really get a hold of it and find it. I would submit to you that that, that fits nowhere in God's word with the character of who God is. God does not have a will for our lives and then want to play games with us about finding it. In fact, God has a will for our lives and he wants us to find it and he wants us to live within it. As I've shared with you on numerous occasions, more often than not, the problem is not that we can't find God's will. The problem is not that we can't know God's will. The problem is, on the one side, we're not, we're not willing to live by his will. And so we hide behind the idea, oh, I just don't know what he wants me to do. We're going to talk a lot over the next couple, three Sundays at least about this idea of finding God's will for our lives and making decisions that result in his glory. Our text this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 23 begins and it says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. And that's not financial wealth, but the idea of well-being. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat it, asking no question for conscience sake. But if a man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it or declared this unto you, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord in the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if by grace uh, be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ." In 18, or pardon me, in 1646, 1647, 
the Presbyterian Church of, of uh, England and, and Scotland had kind of got together and they made what is often referred to as the Westminster uh, Catechism. This particular one that I'm referring to is what is called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And it asks this question. It says, what is the chief end of man? We might put it this way. What is the ultimate goal? What is the, 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 the one driving force for man in his life? And the answer to that question was that we would live to the glory of God and enjoy Him forever. You know, it is that latter statement that as I thought about this, I thought, you know, you don't hear that much anymore. Most people think, well, you get into a relationship with God and all it is is you can't do this and you can't do this and you got to do this and you got to do this. And we present the idea of being a child of God is that of, of, of a burden to bear and that of, of, of just you can't smile and you can't have any fun and you can't be excited and it's just like a, 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 you have made a vow of, 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 of being poor and a vow of, uh, of being stoic or, or being depressed all the time. I would challenge you to find that in scriptures. Jesus said, I came that they might have life, and not just mere existence, but that they might have life more abundantly. We act like you can't be happy and serve God. And this confession or this, this, this catechism is, and, and I know we don't base everything on the writings of men, but the idea is presented not only to live to his glory but child God, to enjoy him, I, I just ask you to challenge yourself and look deep within and, and say, do I, do I enjoy him? Do I enjoy him? I, I would present the idea that if you tried to convince your wife that you enjoyed her, your husband that you enjoyed him, and you treated them the way that we often sometimes treat Christ, we'd have a hard time proving it to anybody, wouldn't we? to enjoy him but this idea of bringing honor and glory and living to his glory is something that 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 we uh, should be striving for well you say well how in the world do we live for his glory well first of all let me explain a couple things about glory there's two different types of glory referred to in scriptures. Now, the glory is all the same as far as the glory part of it, but there is what is referred to as inherent glory, and then there is ascribed glory. Now, glory simply comes from a Greek noun that has the idea of to raise the opinion of, to elevate somebody's uh, uh, opinion or, or value of somebody. Uh, and so, as you think, and it's often uh, translated as brilliance or radiance and, and, and brightness and so forth, but the idea is that the goodness, the righteousness of God, his holiness, his love, his mercy, all of these things about God bring him glory. That is, they elevate the opinion of those concerning him. So when we live for his glory, what we're trying to do is live in such a way that when the rest of the world watches us, their opinion of God now increases. So when we're out there and we're cussing like the rest of the world, or we're out there and we're drinking like the rest of the world, or we're running around doing what the rest of the world's doing, we're, we're talking about things that we ought not be talking about. When we're doing these things, the world says, my opinion of your God has just decreased. Because he hadn't done anything in your life that's any different than what's in my life. 
You talk like I talk. You think like I think. And so it lessens their opinion of God. There is the inherent glory of God, and that is God's just because of who God is. And nobody else has that glory outside of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have inherent glory. They had it before the earth was created, and they'll have it long after this earth is melted with a fervent heat. They have it whether the world accepts it or not. Whether you believe him to be glorious, he is glorious. It's his inherent nature of who he is. He shines as the brilliance of the sun and even beyond. His love, his every attribute about him is glorious. And so that's his inherently. And I, and I don't care what the world says about God. I do care. But what I'm saying is in relation to his inherent glory, it doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter if the world says he's dead. It doesn't matter if the world says he's a myth. It doesn't matter what the world says about it because they can't change who he is. He is glorious. Satan can attack it. Washington, D.C. can vote it down. Men can defy it. But in the end of all things, as it has been since even the beginning of all things and before, he will be glorious because that's his inherent nature. But there is that ascribed glory. And throughout the book of Revelation and other places in the Word of God, we are told to give him glory. Now, I want you to understand what this means. You see, you can't give glory to God as far as giving him glory. He already has glory, and you can't add one ounce of glory any more than he already has. Well, then what are you talking about when the Bible says for us to ascribe to him glory? It is to recognize. It is to admit. It is to declare. It is to accept and to make known that he is glorious and so we ascribe not that we increase how much glory he has but to the rest of humanity we make sure people know that we give glory to him because he is the one that deserves glory how do we give him this glory? Well, there's a, a, a several things that the Word of God mentions, and we won't do an exhaustive list, but very quickly, just to understand, the book of Joshua, chapter 7, verse 19, says that we can give God, we practically can give God glory in our lives by confession of sin. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him. If you remember, Achan was, uh, and the children of Israel was told that as they go into Jericho, that they were to take no spoils of war. And Achan went in and he saw a few things. He thought, man, I just can't pass this up. And so he took it. And many people died because of his decision. We're going to talk a lot about this morning. People dying because of the decision. People that didn't take those items, Achan took them, but other people paid the price for his decisions that he made. And now Joshua comes to him and says, if you want to give glory to God, you need to confess your sins. How long, how long, child of God, has it been since God got glory from us because we, we got honest with him, sincere and genuine, and not told him that we sinned. He already knows that. But the word confess means to agree with him about our sin. How long has it been since... God got glory from Faith Missionary Baptist Church because we got on our, on our faces, as it were, before him and said, God, 
we need your forgiveness. We have failed you. It becomes so easy to become like the Pharisees and just walk around in our own righteousness and pick out all the faults of everybody else. But God gets glory when we ask for forgiveness of sins, when we confess our sins. God also gets glory when we trust God. In Romans chapter 4, verse 20, as God is describing Abraham and, and what he and Sarah was going through, awaiting the promise of God that he should have an a, a, a inheritor, a, a child, and, and, and all the other promises. And the Bible says he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. God receives glory. Not that we add to it, but we ascribe to him glory. And the world's elevation of him or their opinion of him is elevated when we live a life of faith a life that uh, believes the word of God that believes what God has promised and in spite of the fact that we may not see the fulfillment of those things yet right now you and I cannot see necessarily the fulfillment that Christ has promised and that he will do and that is to come back and receive us although I would submit to you that there are signs everywhere church member sent me a copy of a receipt the other day in a text. Anybody been to, to, to McDonald's in a while? Nobody? I know one person did because they sent me a receipt. <laughs> Anybody else been to McDonald's in a while? Anybody paid for their food with a debit card? You know what it says? I, I challenge you to do this. I'm not going to get a dime from McDonald's. So there ain't no kickbacks in this. But go to McDonald's and order something and use your debit card and at the bottom it will say cashless transaction the very wording of what is going to come about as the end times are here the world may think we're stupid foolish moronic to believe that Christ is going to come back but every day I live on this earth I become more and more convinced of its reality when we live by faith, trusting God, God gets honor and glory. Bearing his fruit. In John chapter 15, verse 8, herein is my Father glorified. Herein, where? My Father is glorified in here. Where is here? That you bear much fruit. The world will see us as his disciples. Their, their opinion of him is elevated. He gets glory when we bear his fruit. There are fruits of this world. There are fruits of sin. And there are the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of righteousness. Which ones do we bear? God gets glory when we bear the fruits of the Spirit. When we thank him, in Psalms 50, verse 23, the Bible says, Whosoever offereth praise glorifieth me. When we praise him, when we thank him, he is glorified. We don't want this one to talk about too, very, too terribly much, but 1 Peter wrote in chapter 4, verse 14, If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. If you suffer for Christ's sake, then you will be happy. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if you suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. You want to glorify God? Part of that's going to involve suffering for him. And we won't suffer for him if we don't live for him. 
Because if we're not living for him, the world's not interested in causing us to suffer. We must live for him in order to suffer for him. And if we suffer for him, we have a greater chance to live for his honor and his glory. We must hurry on. Being content, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. And I, I, for time's sake, I wasn't going to read this, but in Philippians 4.10, Paul talks about the church at Philippi giving unto him. And even though when they weren't able to do it, they did it anyway. I know that there are a lot of people in our world today that are looking for social gospels, and I realize that's not the chief end of the Lord's New Testament churches. But many are the times that you look in scriptures and you see God's people helping others. Sometimes when they don't even have the ability themselves, and yet God lays it on their heart and they help. The Bible says that when we are content with what God has given us, and that's what Paul was talking about. I've learned to be content in whatever God grants me. And God gets honor and glory. In John chapter 14, verse 13, Whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. God gets glory when we ask him for those needs that we have in daily life. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 says that when we spread the word, God gets glory. Anybody recognize what that is? I know the words, not necessarily, but you, you, anybody remember what that, that was? Pardon me? That's, that's, anybody remember the magic eight ball of years past? You know, that big eight ball looking thing, and you'd ask it a question, you'd shake it up, and it would, it would spin and this and that and the other, and it'd give you some kind of an answer. I wouldn't recommend Ouija boards, and I wouldn't make, recommend magic eight balls. And finding God's will for our life and making decisions shouldn't come down to, should I go to church today? And the magic eight ball says, you know, or should I go talk to my neighbor about Christ? Magic eight ball says, you know, type thing. Should I, should I commit this sin or should I not? The magic eight ball gives me this answer. That's not the way we're to make decisions. You know, I, I, I was watching a, a baseball game the other day, not the one that we went to Friday night, the Travelers game, but uh, here a while back, or the other day, I was watching a, a college baseball game, and, 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 and you could see this chess match between the two coaches. Uh, this, this coach would bring in this left-hander. Well, then the other coach would counter that by bringing in his left-handed batter or right-handed batter because a right-handed batter uh, has better luck against left-handed batters. And then you had this, well, this pitcher is, is a good fastball pitcher, and so, well, I'll start this guy instead of that guy because he hits good fastball. Well, I'm going to start my, my, my breaking ball pitcher because, he, you know, he, that's his strength. And so the coach would say, well, I'm going to do this or that and the other. Isn't it amazing how much effort people put into trying to make the right decisions to win a baseball game and children of God put very little effort into am I living a life that will please him am I making a decision that will result in the honor and glory of God more effort is put into financial decisions put into uh, all these other things we spend more time trying to make I, I, I do it myself from time to time looking as we plan our vacation and looking at the hotels and find out now how many stars does this one have and is it clean and what is the reviews and, and, and if we're going to stop and eat where are we going to eat what are the reviews for this restaurant we put all this effort into trying to gather information to make good decisions about these things. But when it comes to the things of God, it's like we want to shake our magic eight ball. 
without seeking God, without looking at God's word. I'd have you to know this morning that there are certain things that just we ought not have to make decisions about. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. We cannot escape choices. We cannot escape them. And you know what I found, Brother Randy? The older I get, the more of them I got to make. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, here's what I would say. Man, I can't wait to be an adult where I can make my own decisions. You know why? This will be very old school for some of y'all. Y'all think this is crazy. But I, I promise you, people used to live this way. My mom and daddy said, if your hair starts covering your ear, guess what we're doing, son? We're going to get the bowl and put it on your head, and we're going to, you know, type thing. We're going to get you a haircut. Your hair is not going to begin to cover your ear, and it's not going to begin to cover your collar. And when I was a kid, I thought, boy, I cannot wait. <laughs> Look at this. <laughs> I can't wait to get old enough, and I can determine how long my hair gets. Lo and behold, and I, this is not by nature. This is by choice. <laughs> Who would have thought that I couldn't wait to grow a long head full of hair and have it halfway down my back only to get old enough to take a razor blade to it every other day? I came in just as this whole idea of fads and, and things about clothing really began to take, take you know, shape in our world. That's why it blows my mind when I see some of these kids now that go out and pay $80 for a pair of blue jeans and they're already all ripped up. Excuse me? <laughs> what? I got a closet full of them. Pay me $80. I'll give them all to you for $80, not just one pair. When I was a kid, and we never went hungry, my mom and dad, we didn't suffer, we didn't want for anything, but you know where we bought our clothes? And I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm just telling you the truth. In that, in that day and time, Walmart didn't even really exist yet, at least where we lived. We went to a place that was called Kmart. Anybody remember Kmart from years back? And you could go to Kmart every now and then, and guess what they had somewhere in that store usually? Not red light, not Kmart. What was it? Blue light. That's right. And that blue light was like a siren there back there. No noise, but it was a blue light, and it was flashing. And Mom and Daddy would take us there, uh, and we would get our clothing on the blue light special. I never knew of Levi jeans at that time. You'd have said Nike tennis shoes, and I said, what's that? We got whatever was there. And I thought, you know, I can't wait to get old enough, and I make my own choices about what, and I will never step into another Kmart and look for a blue light special. Now I'm older, and I find that I have to make decisions so many more times in a day than I really want to. Sister Gail and I have talked a lot about this. The older we get, the more difficult those decisions often get, don't they? Because now I'm making decisions for the well-being of not just me, but my wife, my kids, my grandkids. And you get to that place in your life, Sister Martha, where now I'm making, de I'm making decisions about my parents. And those are difficult decisions to make. So hard. And sometimes you ever just wanted to crawl into a hole and just pull, the, you know, pull it in around you? You cannot escape decisions. So what we want to talk about for the next few weeks is how do I make some of these decisions? Now, I want you to know, you can't escape uh, decisions, but I want you to know that uh, every decision has a consequence to it. 
Sister Heather tells me a lot about when the eighth grade boys come into her class. If you're an eighth grade boy, I don't mean to be offensive, and you may be a difference to the rule, but most teachers will tell you something about eighth graders are brain dead. They just ain't got enough sense, you know, to get out of the rain when it's storming. And the other thing about them is, is they often have this odor that comes with them. More often than not, you can pick out an eighth grade boy real quick. It's kind of like Linus. You remember Linus? Got all that dust and odor. Was it not Linus? Pigpen. Thank you. Pigpen. Okay. Now, Trevor can, he can choose not to take a shower. He can choose that, but there's a consequence to it, isn't there? And I never knew a boy like him until I got to meet him, but where I'll take an apple or a pear or something like that and just, you know, give that boy a raw onion, you know. Now, he can choose not to brush his teeth if he wants to, but there's going to be some consequences come with that too, isn't it? So you don't take a shower and you don't wear any kind of deodorant and you don't brush your teeth after eating onions and you're free to do all of that but there will be some consequences and that would be he'd be sitting in the sound booth and his mom and daddy even wouldn't be around him this morning nobody would be around him so we make decisions and they all have consequences and believe me those consequences affect others because if you're sitting there and you've ate onions and not brushed your teeth everybody else gonna get to pay the price of your decisions but I have learned this about life. The older I get, the more decisions I have to make, and more often than not, the more serious is the consequence. You know what I'm talking about? The more serious the consequence becomes. And there is no more area where that is more true than in spiritual terms. Making decisions, we cannot escape decisions. We cannot escape choices we often make choices and decisions that we have no business trying to make as we mentioned every choice has a consequence consequences can be far-reaching they will affect others and and so we have to understand that that we have to make these consequences but we're not left to a magic eight ball we're not left to a ouija board we're not left to the flipping of a coin to decide who's going to be home team and who's going to be the visitors team in life god has said Here's how you can know my will. And here's how you can live for my honor and glory. And I, will, I, I, I know I can't, I, listen to me, I can't tell you this from experience, but I know somebody that can. All right? You can make good business decisions and you become the wealthiest man that ever walked the face of this earth. And you can go meet a man by the name of Solomon and he'll tell you that means absolutely nothing. And you can choose to live for God or not live for God. But in the end of all things, Solomon said, the whole duty of man is to keep God's commandments and to live for him. Making choices. How do we go about it? Well, we have to seek his will. In Proverbs 3, 6, seek his will in all that you do. In all? Yes, in all that you do. And he will show you which path to take. You might be surprised if you really think about it. About 90% of the things that we make decisions on every day have no explicit instructions in the Word of God. 
You cannot find anything in the Word of God about do I wear my blue short, uh, blazer today or do I wear my tan blazer. You can't find anything in there about do I do this or do I do that in, in a lot of the things of life. But you can find in Scripture principles that will guide us in the making of decisions. Seek His will and He will show it to you. It all begins with the knowledge. And the knowledge is simply this. You leave me on my own, and the only path I will choose will be the one that leads to my destruction. Nobody wants to hear that today. Nobody wants a preacher to tell them, if you travel your own path that you devise, I'm telling you with all certainty, it will lead to destruction. And they'll get all offended and mad and say, well, you don't think I got any sense? You don't. No, listen, the Word of God says that we are sheep, and without a shepherd, we'll walk off the end of a cliff. Without a shepherd, we'll never find water. Without a shepherd, we won't find green pastures. We will die. We are no good on our own without the leadership of God. So how can I make these decisions? It starts with the, the knowledge. I need help. Those are three words that are kind of like the three words, I am sorry. They are awful hard to come across the lips, aren't they? I need help. And here's the thing, know this this morning. To admit that you need help should not be anything that embarrasses you or anything like that because there's not a person that's ever walked the face of this earth that didn't need help. Jesus himself, that's why in the garden he prayed. That's why many times he would steal away from the crowds. The man, Jesus, often needed help. After his temptation, what does the Bible say? The angels came and what? Ministered unto him. Why? He needed the help. The man, Jesus, needed the help. So it begins with that knowledge. It is followed by seeking. I, I know I need, I, I need leadership in my life. So where am I going to find it? And young people, wake up for just a minute if you tuned out and get this if you don't get nothing else. The dumbest thing in the world, and I know that's offensive in, 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 in the, the terminology, but I'm sorry, it is what it is. The dumbest thing in the world that a 13-year-old can do is go ask advice from another 13-year-old. That's about the dumbest thing in the world a man could do. If you're going to seek advice, seek it from a source that's going to give you some good advice. Because you know what? That 13-year-old thinks just like you do. And that is only for himself and what he can enjoy in the here and the now. So it begins with the knowledge. It's followed by seeking, and then it requires an absolute surrender. All right, God, if this is what you want then this is what I'll do. may not be what I want to do, but this is what I'll do. We'll hurry on very quickly now. So making decisions. Number one, does the Bible prohibit it? When the Bible says, thou shalt not lie, I don't care what explanation, what reason, what justification you give if the Bible says, thou shalt not lie, then children of God ought not lie. And if we're going to bring honor and glory to God, we must not do those things prohibited in Scripture. 
And this is what I was talking about earlier. I, I, I hear so many children of God, uh, I'll go visit them at their house, and they'll say, well, yeah, last Sunday morning I got up, and I was sitting around there drinking coffee, and I, I, I got to looking outside, and man, it was such a beautiful day, and the squirrel was out there, and he was playing, and he was chasing another squirrel, da-da-da-da-da-da, and I was sitting there trying to decide whether I ought to go to church. Well, there's your problem. There's your problem. Quit deciding things that you ought not have to decide. The child of God ought to know that he ought to go to church and shouldn't have to be sitting there thinking, well, do I go or do I not go? Do I read my Bible or do I not? Do I tell somebody else about Christ or do I not? These are things that, that we know that we're supposed to do or not do. So if we're debating these things, if the Bible prohibits it, then there's no way we can make it right when we make a decision. And if the Bible commands it, there's no way we can make it right by not doing it. So these are two huge things that we can use to help us make decisions. Well, I'm thinking about doing this. Well, does the Bible say don't do it? Yeah, but I really want to. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, but the, I, I, I'm thinking about doing this, and, and I could really make it big in this or that and the other. Does the Bible prohibit? Well, yeah. Well, I don't care how much you make out of it. Don't do it. It's simple. Or I'm thinking about doing this or not doing this. Well, does the Bible command it? Well, yeah then do it. It's very simple. And finally, does it bring glory to God? Whatever you and I decide, and here's Paul's point, and we're going to get into this very quickly and close. Whatever you are trying to decide to do, and that's what Paul's going to talk about in our text when we get back to it in just a second. Whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. Do I drive like a wild man? And get all over the back bumper of the people that's in front of me? Well, can you do that to the honor and glory of God? And if you're sitting there wondering about it, let me just tell you, no, you can't. Can you do it? Does the Bible say thou shalt not tailgate and, you know, have these fits of rage while you're driving? No, the Bible doesn't say you can't do that. But it's real hard to give honor and glory when you're acting like that because you're acting in anger. You're acting in the flesh. Trust me, from a man that used to have a serious temper problem. Just know this. If you're reacting to a situation in anger and, and, and in temper and, and in a rage of that, just know this. God's probably not getting any honor and glory out of your life right about that time. Now, yes, I know there is righteous indignation, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just throwing a temper tantrum. And I got news for you. Three-year-olds are not the only ones that can throw a temper tantrum. I've seen lots of adults do it. And it's real hard for God to get honor and glory when we're acting like that. So how can we make decisions which bring glory to God? If you go back and you look at your text, Paul's going to give us four things. He said all things are lawful. Now, he's not saying everything that you can think of is lawful for the child of God. What he's saying is all things that are being lawful, all right? not all things are lawful, but all things that are being lawful may not be good. It may not be profitable. It may not be advantageous, even though legally you can do it. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, what Paul is doing is he's talking about that you could go to the market there in, in, in the Roman control of things, and, 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 and what you had is you had meat that was on sale here and meat that was on sale here. This meat had been offered to the false gods of Rome, and this meat had never been offered. And the meat that had been offered was cheaper than the meat that was not offered. But you had a lot of people that were offended if a child of God would have 
bought this meat, saving themselves some money. And so Paul's talking about, listen, is it lawful? Am I at liberty by scriptures to buy that meat? And the answer is absolutely, you sure are. But then he turns around and says this, but it may not be in your best interest. And here's the real kicker to it all, all right? We have to be more concerned about another child of God and their conscience and how it affects them than we have to be about saving 48 cents a pound. And there'll be a lot of children of God, so turn me off right there. You don't know how hard I, I make my money stretch. I, I'm, I'm struggling just to make ends meet. I get that. But I believe the word of God that if we will live according to its principles, God will always bless and provide for us. And Paul is teaching us all things that are legal to you may not be the best thing. And he says, here's how you know what to do. Does it edify or does it gratify? There are things that children of God today are making decisions for themselves as to whether it's okay or not okay. Drinking is one of those issues. When I was a kid, it was, it was things like the length of hair. It was, can, we, can women wear pants to church? We've come a long way, hadn't we? <laughs> we, had, we had all of these issues. And now we've moved from that to, you know, Things of, uh, of other nature. Is it okay to drink? Is it not? And, and it's because they say, well, you, you can drink as long as you don't get drunk. Or you can drink as long as you stay at home and do it. I'm telling you, you may be able to square it in your mind. I don't think you can with scriptures. But even if you think you can get past the scriptures prohibiting of it, I'm telling you, if it offends a brother and sister in Christ, it may be legal for you to do, but it's not the best thing for you to do. Does it edify or does it gratify? Does it build up or does it build only me up? Paul said, listen, you must think about others and how it affects them. If it edifies, by the way, the word edify there from the word that we get domicile from. The idea is, does it build the house or does it destroy the house? Everything I do needs to be done with the idea of bringing glory to God. Well, how do I bring glory to God? If what I do, if what I do builds up Sister Heather, all right, then I'm, I'm on the right path. If what I choose to do builds up my brothers and sisters in Christ, then that's a good path to be on may not be self-gratifying. And that's where Paul is saying, listen, everything that is legal, you can do as far as that's concerned. But it may not be the best thing to do. Does it look at others or does it look at self? If you go back and look at the text, you'll see that Paul talks about this. Verse 24, 25, that we're to think of someone else's conscience. Am I focused on me? Or am I focused on others? Remember Achan that we talked about earlier? He was focused on himself. Man, here's some gold. Here's a robe. Here's some other things. I, nobody will know. Nobody will know. I'll just slip it away quietly. 
You know, and he could have been like Saul was, the first king of Israel. You see, Saul was told not to take any spoils of war. And Saul took him anyway. And then when he got questioned by it by the prophet of God, here's what Saul did. Saul was quick, boy. He was quick on his feet because he said, you know why I did that? I, I kept all them sheep that God told me not to so I could give it to him in worship and in sacrifice. If God prohibits it, you cannot square it up so that it's a good decision that brings glory. And I can tell you Saul didn't keep them with the idea of offering to God. That was just his way to justify it when he got caught. Others. Paul says, it may be lawful for you to do this or do that. You may think this is a good decision, but if it offends, if it is a trap that would cause your brother or sister to stumble. But he also talks about those that are without then too, the world. We need to be careful and realize that people are watching. People are watching. Freedom versus legalism. Paul gets into a discussion in our text about not asking for conscience sake. And not letting uh, the fact that, that, that it bothers somebody to make us legalist now. In other words, you're free to eat meat that was offered to an idol. The meat is not tarnished or sinful because it was offered in first to an idol. You're free to do that. But don't make it a legalistic thing. All right? Live in your liberty. And the best thing you can do is when somebody asks you to come over for Sunday lunch is don't walk in the door. And first thing is, now did you buy your roast off of the idol rack or the, the non-idol rack? Don't ask. And it's not, it's not a thing of, well, if I don't know about it, what Paul is saying is, listen, don't become legalistic about this. You're free to do it. It's not going to lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. Not, listen, just, just go and enjoy the meal and be thankful for the meal. But live in liberty, but don't become legalistic about it. Don't preach the other guy because he bought that meat and you think he shouldn't have. And then he finally says, make some concessions versus condemning. As you look at the latter part of the text this morning, again, the idea is, is don't condemn him because he believes you can or you can't. But realize, and that's what Paul said. Paul said, listen, I, 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 try, to, I try to please everybody and you can't please everybody. I understand that. But when it comes to a subject like this, you, you can come a whole lot further than we often do. I was reminded last Thursday night down at Gurdon, umpiring softball game. When I'm umpiring, every single choice I make about whether that's a call or a strike or safe or out, 50% of the people agree with me and 50% of me people think I'm the dumbest thing to ever walk the face of this earth. In that setting, I cannot please everybody. But Paul is indicating that we make decisions that bring honor and glory to God. And these are four principles that will help us to make those decisions. We make decisions every day. How much of my life am I going to give to God today? Will I do this? Will I do that? 
Will I gratify my sinful desires and lust? Or will I live for Him? This morning, you may be making the decision whether you will accept Him as your personal Savior or not if you've never done that. I can tell you this, there is no bigger decision than that. And there is no bigger consequence because if you reject Him as your Savior, and eternity in hell is the only thing that awaits you. I know that's strong, but it's true. Decisions. Making them is not left to a magic eight ball. We have clear guidance if we'll just seek it and be willing to live by it. Father, as we come to you this morning, we stand very quietly now. Our musicians are coming. We're preparing to receive or to uh, have this time of invitation. God, I pray that you would help us to know that we can't avoid decisions, especially spiritual ones, but we're not left just to our own desires and our flesh. We're not left to just what I think or what I feel. But we have principles in your word that will guide us into making the right decisions that will bring honor and glory. There may be some right now that the Spirit of God is dealing with their heart and there's something they need to do, a response to come and be saved or, or some other matter. Father, I, I pray that your Spirit will guide us, will follow your will in our life, and we'll make the right decision today. Please move in our hearts and help us to know what you'd have us do. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.